Welcome to Leading from Behind, a podcast series about the practice of solution-focused therapy, produced by the Halifax Brief Therapy Center. I'm Barry McClatchy, and this is episode number 24, Solution-Focused Practice in the Workplace. Well, thank you for joining me here once again on Leading from Behind. In this episode, we'll continue with taking a general look at some of the many applications of the solution-focused approach. This time, we'll be shifting our lens into the workplace. Now, over the last 10 to 20 years, there's been a significant increase in how the approach is being used within companies and organizations in the areas of coaching, leadership, teamwork, and planning. As well, there's a growing number of organizations, books, and articles solely devoted to this subject. In fact, the use of solution-focused practice is widespread enough right now that it probably deserves a separate podcast by itself. But this month, we'll take a first basic look at how the approach might be used in some workplace situations. As usual, in the closing resource segment of this episode, I'll identify a few books and organizations that might be of interest to those of you who want to learn more about solution-focused practice in the workplace. So, once again, thank you for joining me here on Leading from Behind. I hope you'll find it useful in your understanding of the solution-focused approach. Following the development of the solution-focused approach by Steve DeShazer, Insu Kimberg, and their team at the Brief Family Therapy Center in Milwaukee, it didn't take long before applications outside of the therapy room began to take form. And in many ways, this is hardly surprising, given that the fundamental foundations and framework of solution-focused thinking can be applied to just about any endeavor that involves human behavior. Now, most often, solution-focused practice in the workplace is associated with coaching. That is, someone who works with a manager, employees, teams, or even an entire organization. The coach, in this context, facilitates solution-focused conversations that enables the client, whoever that might be, to clarify and move toward a preferred future or outcome. In some cases, the coach might also play the role of a trainer or educator, essentially training managers, employees, teams, and organizations to use a solution-focused framework in different aspects of the work environment. So in this particular episode, and as a very general introduction to this subject, we're going to take a look at several ways that solution-focused practice might be used in the workplace. First, we'll take a look at how it might be utilized with an individual manager during a solution-focused coaching relationship. And secondly, we'll take a brief look at how the approach might be used in working with a team. Now, for the purposes of our discussion here, I'm going to talk about a coaching session with a manager who has initiated the session as a direct result of a problem or a challenge. And I'm going to use a case example, a variation on an actual one, to show how, at least in this case, how I conducted a solution-focused coaching session with a manager. For illustration purposes, I'll play a few audio clips taken from a video role play of this particular conversation. So the manager in question requested the session as a result of some difficulties he was experiencing with one of his team members. Now, before I say more about the case example, I want to underline that in a coaching session, just like in a therapy session, we want to keep our focus as much as possible on the client. 
Often, especially when the manager, as in this case, is presenting a problem with an employee, it's easy for the focus to fall solely on the employee's behavior rather than how the problem is a problem for the manager. Similar to a therapy client who brings complaints about others to a counseling session, we want to invite descriptions of what the manager will be doing or doing differently in his or her description of the preferred future, and not just the description of what the employee or others would be doing. So, in this first part of the conversation, I want to do the following. First, I want to understand the manager's best hope from the conversation. Second, I want to have some understanding of how the problem is a problem. And third, I want to explore how the client has managed and what's helped in the face of the problem. And of course, I want to inquire about pre-session change, particularly in cases where there's been a gap between when the session was requested and when it took place. So, very early on, I asked the manager in this case about his best hope from our conversation. He responded by saying that he was hopeful about getting some, quote, tips or techniques, unquote, that would help him resolve this problem. Of course, this response is a very common one in therapy as well. The client looks to the coach for some kind of expert advice, something that's certainly not in keeping with a solution-focused position. So, by asking questions like, what difference would these tips or techniques make? Or, supposing these tips and techniques were useful, what would your best hope be as a result? The manager further clarified his desired outcome by identifying the following. First, he wanted the employee in question to, quote, fit in better with the rest of the team. He also wanted the rest of the team to make more of an effort to involve the employee in their interactions. And finally, he wanted to see improvements in the employee's work performance. Again, similar to a therapy session, the client's clarified best hopes contain some language that requires some deconstruction. So, for example, how will the manager know that the client is fitting in better with the team? What will other team members be doing that reflects an effort to be more inclusive with their coworker? And, of course, how will the manager know that her performance has improved? These will be some of the things that I would be listening for when we explore his preferred future. Now, in the early part of our case example, Richard, the manager, talked to a bit about the problem that had brought him through the door. I've had this problem with this woman for a staff member for a while. And basically, you know, she she's had she's just not getting along with the rest of the staff and, and um you know, she's come to me with different problems and I've been trying to listen to her problems and find out, you know, how I can help and I've been interact, you know, kind of meeting with other staff and trying to uh, solve this. But, um, you know, the more this goes on, the more I realise it's not what's happening to her, it's how she's handling it and, she, you know, so she's not fitting in with the staff team at all and I need her to fit in better. It's it's a problem, and she keeps making a problem. Like she's obviously not enjoying. It. And the second thing, too, quite frankly, uh, her performance isn't good. You know, so I've got kind of these two problems from her. You know, her work performance is um, substandard, really, and uh, her her relationship skills, her inter team skills, her interpersonal skills at work is also really far from what I need. And so now, in the course of this part of the conversation. I spent some time inviting Richard to talk about how this particular problem was a problem for him. He went on to describe how he had been spending a good portion of his time dealing with the employee, he had been neglecting some of his management responsibilities as a result, 
And finally, he noted that he had been distant from other members of his team as a consequence of the situation. On a personal level, he also identified that he hadn't been sleeping well and that his overall well-being had been affected by his frustration with the situation with this particular employee. Now, another part of the early conversation focused on how the manager had been coping with the situation. What, for example, had helped so far, and what had he already tried to do, even if it hadn't helped? So this is how he responded. Sure. Well, you know, I certainly started listening to what her problems were, and, and obviously I believe what she said and, and uh, accepted her perspective. And, uh, you know, then sat down and see, you know, I asked her about could I talk to the other staff and maybe see if there's something I can do to kind of address this situation, get it up on the table. And, you know, she had uh, said, well, you know, doing that's going to make it worse, right? So I was trying to talk to her, well, you know, maybe you need to speak to them more directly. And so I've been trying to coach her sure. to solve this problem, you know, and she says she's doing that, and yet this problem persists. And again, like, it keeps coming back to how she gets treated and that the other people are really kind of, you know, not acting professionally, but they are kind of really being kind of really quite nasty to right. her, right? Okay. She's getting hostile work environment is what right. she would say, huh? Okay. Okay. And um, so I've been trying to coach her about what she should do or then I was trying to uh, take a thicker skin approach. Right. And, you know, not, neither of those certainly decreased the frequency sure. of her coming back and her yeah. claiming a problem. Yeah. Uh, it has helped that she's felt listened to, I right. think. She feels supported. But again, like I said, I'm kind of... Uh, reaching that point where sure. this isn't working. Next, the conversation moved toward an essential part of the solution-focused conversation, an exploration of the client's preferred future. It was no surprise that he was easily able to articulate how he would notice that the employee was getting along better with the team and that other team members were making an effort to do the same. He also had some clear ideas about how he would notice improvements in her performance. At the same time, though, by asking questions about what others might notice about him following the miracle, he was able to identify quite a number of things that he would be doing that he had either stopped doing or done less of as a consequence of his own struggles to deal with the situation with his employee. So here's one clip from his response in the miracle question. Well, I'd sure as heck be having an easier day, Barry. Okay. Like, you know, I've not been able to get, A, I've not been able to get to a lot of my work. Sure. So okay. I've got like a, stack of paperwork this high right i'd be noticing my in basket okay. would be shrinking i'd be helpful and it, a it's the time i'm spending directly solving it sure b this plays on my mind a lot of course so i'm not at my peak performance That's, here like sure. you know now the conversation continued with more of a focus on the manager's behavior in the midst of this preferred future here's some of his response when he described what his team would be noticing about him i guess they'd be noticing me, well, you know, they too uh, uh, know that, you know, I've not been able to finish my work right. in the same way, so I'm not very available to them. I've been really kind of irritable with them too, because I'm feeling like, for God's sake, get along with her, right. fix this, like, you know, what the hell are you doing here, right? right? Okay. So I've been irritable with them, frankly, and, and sure. uh, so I'm just like, you know, screwed a lot of you, <laughs> if right. you don't mind yeah. me yeah. saying it yeah. that way, Barry. So they, they would notice a, what instead would they notice? Uh, wouldn't, well, I guess, you know, I'd get back to the way things were uh, before this problem started happening, where 
you know, I'd be interacting with them. I'd be having coffee with them. And, ah, and, you'd be having, right, okay. Right, yeah, because, you know, that's all gone out the window right, right now. Like yeah. I said, I just come in and I'm feeling like, Jesus, get in my yeah. office, close the door, yeah. lock out these problems, yeah. right? You know, lead them to it. So right. you'd be more visible to them. More, yeah, more visible yeah. and more available. Because frankly, available. Barry, you know, yeah. so it's not just socially no visible, right? Yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, the time it takes... And then my attitude towards them, frankly, and this isn't professional, Barry, but this has affected how I feel about them. Sure. So it's like, you know, I've not been around to, in the way that I would normally be checking out about, I would check out like, what's your workload like? How are you managing sure. here? That's Do you right. have what you need, resources? Right. I would gotcha. be more on top of their training. I've let training go, Barry. Okay. Like I, I should have been, I'm behind these evaluations and uh, I'm a little bit dreading it because I'm sure. thinking, well, how much would this color it, right? So I'd be starting to meet with them and say, you know, what, what are your career goals? Where are we going with this? Yeah. Uh, uh, what do you need? What training do we need? Uh, what do you need from me? I'd be noticing, I used to notice when staff were burning it out. Right. I- then, in the midst of his description of what he would notice about the employee in question following the miracle, he noted how she would be more pleasant and socially engaging with others. Interestingly, this led him to describe in more detail about how he would react to such a change. When I think about it, of course, if I was doing more of that, maybe I'm feeding into the staff right. because they're seeing me. You know, if they saw me do more of that, right. maybe they're going to be doing a bit right. more of that too, right. right? And so maybe you've already answered this question. But sure. So what difference would this make if you were more, you know, interactive yeah. with them? And uh, yeah. More precisely, that's going to, you know, be role modeling to uh, my staff how I'd like them to be. That. Right. So certainly okay. there's that. Uh, you know, and frankly, maybe, you know, as I said, she's been playing on my mind a lot. Sure. And no so, surprise. right, and, and that's affected yeah. my work performance. Yeah. And, you know, if I did a, a little more cordiality, yeah. a little bit more pleasantness with her, yeah. and just isolate these problems, like don't yeah. allow this to pervade everything. Yeah. So I treat it exact same way as everyone yeah. else. And if there's a problem, I deal with it head on. Right. And frankly, I'm going to have to do that. That's right. As the session continued beyond his description of the preferred future, we also talked about exceptions, times when even small parts of the miracle had occurred. Here, he noted one particular observation. You know, Barry, we used to, uh, about once a month, have a staff meeting where, you know, we'd bring in a pot of coffee and someone would bring in, you know, some uh, different finger foods and stuff. You you know, just like donuts or muffins or the, yeah, that kind of thing. And I would really make it clear to staff, you know, this is about relaxing. It's not just, we'll get to business afterwards, but let's take half an hour and relax and just social. Yeah. And you know what? When I think back to it, uh, when we were doing that, there was a bit more of that ease with each other. The working relationships were somewhat improved. There was a bit more levity. Uh, I could see people interacting a bit more. I could, you know, I was spending uh, more time kind of with the staff, not locked up in my office, right? And uh, and it wasn't just for that meeting. The meetings went better afterwards. Right. And, you know, it seemed like the rest of the day would run a bit better, you know? Um, And I don't know how long it carried on, Barry, because I wasn't, I wasn't yeah. thinking about that, but now I think back when we were doing that, that helped. Now, I also asked him a scaling question about his sense of the current situation in comparison to his desired outcome. He chose four out of ten as his response. 
We spent some time exploring what was happening that made it a four and not lower. As well, we examined his ideas about small signs of change. In this area, he noted that the employee would begin to make more of an effort to interact with other team members in a positive way, even if it was just in social interactions. When asked how he would react to this, he said the following. Well, you know, probably, like I said, me doing more of that. Okay. Uh, you know, so me getting out and interacting and her kind of, feel, that which would again make her feel a bit more accepted. Okay. Now again, identical to what we would do in a solution-focused therapy session, I took a brief thinking break to consider some feedback for the manager. Some compliments about his efforts to resolve the situation in a respectful way, some strong validation of his struggles with the situation, and a recap of what his best hopes were. And finally, I provided him with some between-session noticing tasks that connected back to his description of his preferred future, not only with the employee and the rest of the team, but also with regards to his own activity in the workplace. So here is part of that message. So uh, what I would like to uh, suggest to you or encourage you today, uh, Richard, is uh, number one, uh, to keep your eyes wide open for yep. the times when uh, Jillian is uh, interacting positively with the staff mm -hmm. um, and yep. when the rest of the staff seem to be you know, doing the same with her. Yeah, see if I can build it. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, keep your eyes open yeah. for those times. And yeah. as you have in the past, I would uh, you know, encourage you to uh, you know, look for opportunities to uh, let Jillian know when you've noticed this. Uh, mm -hmm. And even yeah. per per perhaps even letting the other staff know when you see them interacting with Jillian yeah, in positive ways. Yeah, that's a good point. It's, it's, um, yeah. The other thing is uh, simply to pay very close attention when things seem to be going better for you. Oh, and, right. Like uh, when I'm able to do more. And, that's right. And, yeah. and, uh, and in particular, to notice what's different about those times. Uh, what is okay. it that you might have been doing that's allowed that to happen? Okay. So in this example, you'll see that the essential conversation is the same as a therapy session. In this particular case, including a focus on what the manager's action or behavior would be was an important element of the session, in the same way that it would be if we were meeting with a therapy client who had complaints about a family member. Now, in the follow-up coaching session, in this particular case, we would again embrace the same process we would in a follow-up session in therapy. Our focus would be on the presupposition that change had occurred, and we'd be looking to reinforce how this had made a difference. Here, then, is part of the conversation from the follow-up session in our role-play case example. So, since we met last, Richard, um, what's been better? Well, uh, Barry, there's been a bit of improvement in how Jillian's interacting with the other staff and then with her. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. a bit. Yeah, uh, how, a bit. how so? Well, uh, there is a bit more of that small talk, a bit more kind of, you know, chat around the coffee part and, and uh, you know, this, uh, that's been a bit better. Okay. And what, what difference does that need? Well, firstly, uh, you know, I think since we last met, she's come into the office to complain about the staff once. Oh, really? And frankly, before that, Barry, it might have been five, six times like it was that often. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that's been okay. happening less, not zero. And, you know, it's not perfect, sure. okay. but it's better. And what difference has that made for you? Well, to tell you the truth, Barry, uh, you know, I was telling you about how this was playing on my mind all sure. the time and yeah. everything. Well, I'm sleeping better. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, okay. I'm sleeping better. Okay. Uh, 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 I'm leaving it at work, you know. Okay. And how have you managed to do that? How have I managed to do that? Well... You know, I, I've been 
getting out and interacting more with, with staff. Really? But also, you know, when we talked last, you really made me kind of think about how I've not been doing things as a manager I need to do. Get performance evaluations in, meet with staff, ask them what they need. And Barry, I've been doing that more. And when I do that, I've had felt more like a sense of accomplishment. I'm more okay. on task. Wow. So that's made me feel like things are in control because really, Barry, the situation was feeling like it was out of control, right? Sure. I'm feeling like okay. I'm doing my part now. Okay. I was letting her problems eclipse my work. I was running away from it, okay. and I've been getting out of the office doing things. Okay. And what difference has that made uh, in the office? In the office? Well, uh, staff are coming to me again more, you know, like ah, they're okay. kind of uh, coming to me with work situations. Right, right. right? God forbid. Yeah, God forbid. Exactly. Okay. So uh, they, I've noticed that they're more relying on me again. They're having confidence sure. in me. Okay. Uh, my ambassador I told you about. It's gone down there. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's, gone it's gone significantly down. Okay. down. And uh, what difference does that make? Well, uh, I, again, I'm feeling like things are in control. Like okay. before, they were feeling like I'm getting further and further behind. Okay. So I'm now feeling like I'm getting things done. Uh, you know, again, the staff problems, the inter, inter, you know, their relationships yes. are a problem. But I'm getting my work done. I'm staying on top of it. I'm feeling like everything is manageable. Okay. Um, you know, so it, it's it's making a lot of difference. So in summary, the coaching conversation was very similar in its framework that we would find in a solution-focused therapy session. Most notable here, though, is that the client's expertise led him to focus more specifically on his own behavior. He decided, based on our previous conversation, to focus more on doing things that were associated with his own good performance outside of the problem with his employee. Again, in solution-focused practice, this reflects how our clients often hear the sound of their own voices from the conversations we have together. Now, the problem with the employees seemed to have improved to some degree, and there's no way of knowing whether this was a direct result of anything the manager did. Nevertheless, it's still notable that the manager had made some decisions to do something different, and from this, he found benefits. So let's shift our attention now to another way that solution-focused practice can be utilized in the workplace. This time, we'll look at how the approach might be used with a team. Now, we don't have any recordings available as an example of this, but I'd like to describe a single contact I had with a work team in the past. In this particular case, the manager of the team wanted to have a team-building session. Now, from a solution-focused perspective, there were two things I was curious about. First, why now? Was there some problem or concern that had precipitated the request? And secondly, what was the manager's best hope from a so-called team-building session? Thankfully, the manager in this case responded that there was no particular concerns about the team's functioning. In fact, she noted that the team performed quite well together. But it was the beginning of the new year, and following some difficult work in the previous year, she felt it would be a useful way to bring the team together for any new challenges that might lie ahead. As far as the manager's best hopes were concerned, she noted that she would see that the team's communication would be improved as a result of the session. Once again, this response illustrates some of the common ground between solution-focused practice in a therapeutic environment and the workplace. As the solution-focused practitioner, we want to be curious about the client's use of language. 
And in this case, I was immediately curious about how she would notice or recognize that this communication had improved in some kind of positive or useful way. Now, I'm not going to go into any further detail here about her response to this, but I'll simply point out that, again, in solution-focused practice in the workplace, we want to elicit some behavioral detail that allows for the deconstruction of the client's unique language. So, after this initial consultation with the team manager, I decided to conduct a solution-focused conversation with the team that would be centered on the following. First, inviting them to identify what was working and going well within their team. Second, invite them to identify and appreciate the strengths and skills that each uniquely brought to their work together. And third, encouraging them to consider some ideas about what else might be happening as the team continue to grow and strengthen over time. And finally, elicit some of their ideas about next small signs of moving in this direction. Now, my rationale for this was based on the understanding that the team was already functioning well, and so there was no reason, unless it occurred during the session, to try to fix something that wasn't broken. So instead, the opportunity is there to focus on what's already working, shine a light on what team members are doing well, and to explore some of their ideas about signs of further strengthening. So the session began by asking the team members about their best hopes from the conversation together. And, perhaps unsurprisingly, most of them identified this idea that somehow their communication would be improved as a result of the session. We spent a little bit of time then getting some preliminary details of how they might know that these best hopes had been realized. Now, in the second segment of the session, I asked the team members a scaling question and asked that they not respond aloud, but simply think of their response. And the scaling question was as follows. On a scale of 1 to 10, where 10 represents that the team was working and communicating together in the most useful way possible, and 1 was the opposite, where would each of them place the team today? At that point, then, we engaged in an exercise where each identified what was already happening within the team that had led each member to choose their particular number on the scale. So this is similar to what we might do in a solution-focused therapy session, where I might ask, how come you're at a 5 or a 6 and not lower? Now, during this discussion, as the facilitator, I spent considerable time asking follow-up questions. For example, team members would say things like, oh, we support each other really well. And my role was then to ask for clarification by responding with questions like, so how would you notice this if I was observing your team? Or, so when you're supporting each other well, what are you doing? Again, this was to invite behavioral descriptions. And, of course, as each comment was clarified and deconstructed, I would also ask, and what difference does this make when your colleagues support you in the way that you just described? After this portion of the conversation, I asked the group to participate in a further exercise that allowed them to acknowledge the strengths and skills of each member. Now, this exercise isn't necessarily a solution-focused one, although it certainly fits with the principles of focusing on what works rather than what doesn't. So I asked each member of the team to write down on a card what he or she believed were some of the strengths and skills that they brought to the team. Then, each member was asked to write down on a separate card labeled for each member of the team the strengths and skills he or she saw in each coworker. I collected those cards, and the team members held on to the ones that contained their observations about their own strengths and skills. Then, 
each member was asked to identify the strengths and skills they had written down about themselves. After each person read the very modest observations they had made about themselves, I read out what each of the team members appreciated about that particular person. Now, the next segment of the session was focused on the team's preferred future. Now, given that there weren't any particular problems happening, I simply asked them to consider the scaling question they had considered earlier, and then asked them to imagine that they had arrived to work on a Monday morning, and then they began to discover that the team had moved to, or even closer, to the 10. Now, we spent a fair amount of time in this portion of the session, and again, deconstructing some of the responses, particularly their ideas about how they would know that their communication had strengthened even further. And again, I look for opportunities to amplify and reinforce the difference this would make to them as a team. Now, near the end of the session, we also talked about their ideas about small signs that their ideas about better communication were beginning to happen. Finally, I concluded the session by giving them some direct compliments about some of the things that stood out to me about the strength of their team. I also underlined what they had talked about that was important to them as the team continued to thrive. And finally, I encouraged them to pay close attention to the times when the team was communicating well and in the ways that they had described, and to look for opportunities to let each other know when this occurred. In closing, I asked for the team's feedback about the helpfulness of the session. In particular, they noted that they really appreciated the focus on what was going well. The compliments they received from each other when we talked about their strengths and skills was also highlighted as something they found useful. And finally, the focus on specific detail of what they meant by words like communication, collaboration, and support was noted as something very useful to them. The team even asked if a follow-up session could be held in the future so they could talk about what had changed since this initial team-building session. Now, this is just one example of the many ways in which a solution-focused practitioner might work with a team. And, of course, it's a very straightforward and simple example. Clearly, each team can be different, and, of course, the presence of some particular problems or challenges would certainly require the practitioner to alter the approach. Nevertheless, as with our examples in working with an individual manager in a coaching session, solution-focused practice in the workplace still follows the same basic process as we would in a solution-focused therapy session. And, encouragingly, the approach can certainly foster better working relationships, increase productivity, and, perhaps even more important, contribute to a healthy and respectful working environment. In the resource segment of this episode, I have a number of resources to mention that can tell you more about how solution-focused practice is used in the workplace. As always, you can find links to each one on the Leading From Behind podcast page at www.hbtc.ca. Now, the first resource is Soul World, an online community for sharing and building solution-focused practice in organizations. Located at soulworld, S-O-L-W-O-R-L-D dot org, this is a place for leaders, managers, coaches, and consultants to gather to discuss and share ideas about solution-focused practice. The second website of note is sfwork.com. This is the home of Mark McCurgo's SF Work, the Center for Solutions Focus at Work. In addition to learning about training opportunities, there's lots of information about tools, books, and articles relating to the approach to be found on this site. 
Now, related to SF work is our third resource, and this is the seminal book on the use of the approach in the workplace. Entitled The Solutions Focus, Making Coaching and Change Simple, it was written by Mark McCurgo and Paul Z. Jackson. This book would certainly be a, a very good place to start for anyone wanting to learn more about how the solution focused is used in coaching and in working with organizations. Our fourth resource of note is the Solution-Focused Brief Coaching Program at the University of Toronto. This program would certainly be of interest to anyone who is within traveling distance of the City of Toronto and wanted more formal training in the approach. And finally, this list wouldn't be complete without mentioning Insu Kimberg's contribution to the development of the approach in the world of coaching. Brief Coaching for Lasting Solutions is a book published in 2005. Co-authored by Insu Kimberg and Peter Zabo, this work would be an ideal way of learning directly from one of the co-founders of the approach about its application to the world of coaching. So that's it for our list of resources from this episode. To be sure, and as I mentioned earlier, there's lots of other books, organizations, and resources out there right now about solution-focused practice in the workplace. It's a growing field with lots of opportunity for learning and bringing the approach from the therapy room to the work environment. So we've reached the end of this episode, and I'd like to thank you again for joining me here on Leading From Behind. If you have any questions or comments arising from this episode or the podcast in general, please feel free to leave a comment on the podcast page of our website at www.hbtc.ca or by sending an email to feedback at hbtc.ca. We also encourage suggestions or ideas for future episodes. Now, our next episode, number 25, we'll be returning to the world of solution-focused therapy, this time looking at how the approach is used in clinical supervision. In closing, my thanks to my colleague Richard Hamilton for his assistance with our role-play example, and as usual, our appreciation to Dano of danosongs.com, provider of royalty-free music used under Creative Commons license. So you've been listening to Leading From Behind, the podcast series about the practice of solution-focused therapy. I'm Barry McClatchy from the Halifax Brief Therapy Center. I certainly hope you'll join us again. <laughs>